Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. It has been a minute since we did a Star Trek episode. We're gearing up for my 100th episode. I haven't even figured out what I'm going to do for it. I'm going to do something special fun. But this is the first Star Trek episode we've done in a while because Star Trek's been kind of a little bit on hiatus. There was a little bit of time between Strange New Worlds and the return of Lower Decks. But now Lower Decks has its third season in the books. So we're back and I've got my two Trek experts uh, back in the house. Issa Dio and Sarah Lynn Mishner. Um, I could give you guys an introduction, but you've been here a bunch of times. I think we should just get into it, but- um, Get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, here's the thing. I'm gonna start off from the bat. Like, I hate to be the, the negative Nelly, and, but I wanna be clear before I say anything about Lower Decks, that I am a firm believer that if I don't like something, I'm not gonna hush anyone else's mellow I'm not going to tell people that they're wrong. One of the things I hate about current fandom is like, for example, I'm going to give another example, like book of Boba Fett was straight up garbage to me. Right. But if you like book of Boba Fett, great. Good for you. There was one episode I didn't hate, but was it, if was you it like the last it, one, or was it the one with the Mandalorian in the whole thing? Well, that's just a Mandalorian episode. No, the one with the train heist I thought was pretty good with the, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Anyways, we're not here to talk about Book of Boba. Yeah, of we're here to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks. If you don't know what Star Trek Lower Decks is, or if you haven't watched it, then there's really not much point in watching uh, watching or listening to this episode because we're going to spoil it. We're going to talk about it. That is, unless you're one of those weirdos who would just rather hear the discussion than watch the episodes, but we'll talk about it. Um, so before we get to my thoughts, let's start with, let's get some positivity out of the gate here. Uh, Sarah, what did you think overall of Star Trek Lower Decks season three? And then we'll get into the individual episodes a little bit. I thought it was great. I thought it was just as good as the first and second seasons. Like I didn't, I didn't really see a difference either in either direction. Like, I don't think that it's better and I don't think that it's worse. Um, so it's, it's not so much positivity. There's a little bit of ambivalence there just because I feel like they're doing the same things. Uh, but I, there are little moments in each episode, I think, that um, I like the fact that it sort of still can surprise me and that they are, like, it's hard to speak generally about it without listing specific examples. But, um, you know, they're, they're definitely sort of subverting their own expectations a little bit at this point, which is good, um, because I think that a show like that risks kind of having caricatures instead of, you know, because they're they're constantly jokey jokey and stuff like that. And each kind of character has like their archetype. Um, and so you really risk kind of not having any character growth, but I really like that they mess with that and they're still playing with that. And they're still sort of having, you know, S prizes for us. Uh, Isa, what was your overall thoughts of season three of Lower Decks? So I'm going to take you on a roundabout uh, way to my answer. And I apologize in advance, but hopefully this all comes together and makes sense. Oh, so, we'd love to hear from you, Issa, so it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so and this could apply to, so generally speaking, there is so much content out there 
in the Star Trek universe, in just TV in general, in in all the movies, there you know you can't keep up with all of it. I mean, you can. It just is very time consuming. So the in a sense, the bar has become much much higher for what I'm willing to watch, or at least what I'm gonna enjoy. And so I found that a, a lot of a lot of things that I've seen recently, I judge based on if I think they could have been better or not more than maybe on their own merits. I mean, like on its merits, Lower Decks is, is fine. It's entertaining. I don't mind. You know, I had a good time watching it. There were a few things that I thought were absolutely hilarious. Um, it's a little weird for Star Trek for me because it's it's not um, it's it's not the things that I love about Star Trek. You know, it's not like the big moral questions and, and you know, or if it is, it is in a very like backhanded way. Um, and it's more like, you know, a cartoon. It's like, well, it's a funny thing to bring up, but it's like watching an episode of Family Guy or something where, you know, it might be entertaining, um, but it's it's not going to be like this amazing show that I think about, you know, years later. You know, like there are there are like next generation episodes or, or original series episodes that I'm still thinking about, you know. Um, I'm never going to be like, oh, remember in season two of, of Lord X when this happened? Like, that'll never happen. Like, it's just it's not that <laughs> right. memorable to me. Uh, and that's a super high bar. I'm not trying to hold Lower Decks to that bar. But I feel like it could have been better. And that sort of bugs me. Like, they could have made a very memorable show on the concept of Lower Deck, you know, the Lower Decks, basically. Um, like, I love the concept. And I do like the execution. Um it, you know, so it's not like it's bad, but it, it's mostly just that it's very ephemeral. I'm not, it's not really making a huge impression on me. That's my biggest complaint. It's certainly better than a whole lot of shows out there. Um, and and I, I did enjoy watching it. There were a couple parts that are absolutely hilarious, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, I, I'm just really quickly, when they called out all the names of the California class, <laughs> shit, yes, that, that just killed me. That was as so a Californian, funny. yes. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it's living in California that made it extra hilarious. Um, you know, but but yeah, so there's there's a lot of good stuff in there. I thought the biggest difference between season three and the previous seasons was there was less of this like insane amount of Easter egging. Like it, it was it was more, you know, they had a couple things in there, but it wasn't the the first two seasons seemed to have a lot more you know, whatever, I don't want to call it like fan service Easter egg because that's a little, a little over the top because obviously that's sort of the point of the show a little bit. But, um, you know, there was nothing like the Tom Paris commemorative plate or anything in, in season three. Um, and maybe there was and I just missed it, but I didn't, uh, I, I found it more, I liked that it focused more on the four main characters. And for a new Trek show, that's like in, incredible that I can actually name the main characters. Like I, I you know, I've watched all the shows and there's only... Lower Decks might be the only show where I could tell you the names of all the characters. Which... Oh, I'm sure you could with Strange New Worlds. No, no, I really couldn't. I, I mean, uh, I'd have to think about it, you know? <laughs> but I, <laughs> oh, come yeah. on. I know, you know, okay, so off the top of my head, I know Pike and I know Chapel. Um, and number one, I forget her actual name. Una. Uh, Luna, yeah, that's right. Una. Uh, Una. <laughs> Una, yeah, of course, Una, yeah. We even had, we. T I remember us talking about that and they like how they canonically made that her name at some point or whatever um but uh but yeah like I'd, ha I'd have a hard time remembering everyone's name and that that might just mean me being old and having a horrible memory but um you know but but i think uh the newer shows tend to have a lot more characters 
And I like that this one, you know, you have like some sm- smaller characters like Mariner's mom is kind of a smaller character, but the four main characters are really like the characters of the show. And I, I like that. It keeps it simple for an old memory issue person like myself. By the way, I heard her voice on a vaccine commercial on Spotify the other day, and I know it was her, and it was really weird because it was like, <laughs> that is the captain of the Cerritos. <laughs> I know it. It was her. It had to be her. And I did, at least I could recognize her voice, and that was showing that I was paying enough attention. Right. right do you say anything else before I get into my... I, I think that's my general take. Okay, so this isn't that different from how I felt about the other two seasons because they're kind of it's kind of a similar attitude. However, for me, like the shtick is getting a little more old for me because in the first two seasons, my feeling was that at least I laughed once or twice an episode, like really hard. I got a good funny laugh. And there was at least I, I don't know which episodes, but somewhere in there, there was an episode where I ended up on my phone the entire episode and just was not paying attention. And was it the bird, I was it the bird planet episode. It was the bird planet episode. I'm sure. Uh, no, actually, I kind of, I actually, I'm, I have a hot take on that. That one didn't bother me as much as some people that being said, cause I liked that it was doing something different. Um, but wild. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> however, no, it was one of the standard episodes, one of the first like three or four, and I don't even remember what happened, but I just remember there was an episode where my mind started wandering and I realized that I had to go back and watch it again. And I realized that I just like, and I was watching it late, sure, but it just, that happened to me. And I, I and that almost never happens with Star Trek. Usually I'm locked in. And so I have to admit that that happened to me, um, which is very strange and bizarre for me. Uh that being said, the way I look at Lower Decks, my personal feeling on it is that um, I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, and it kind of bothers me, and I think more so this episode. Now, I know that Mike McCannon has said that they wanted to make a show about Star Trek, kind of acknowledging that the people in this world watch Star Trek, like, you know, that Captain Sisko and, and, and Picard are like famous people, and they know those stories, and I can kind of go with that. But what I don't like about Lower Decks is don't tell me it's canon and then have people break the fourth wall where they like make jokes that clearly you would have to watch the series to know like when a character makes a joke about a random thing from the original series that I just that just bothers me because if you can tell me it's canon and then break the fourth wall, I feel like you're having your cake and eating it too. And that's something that... Let's explore well, that. A little well, because... before you go into okay. that, let me just say, let me just say my my piece on that. I still, I, it, the first couple seasons, I just went with it and I laughed with it. But for me, what's getting old is that, like, I just reject this idea that it's canon. I just can't. I kind of view Lower Decks the way I can enjoy it is I imagine it being the comedy series that exists in that world, like. In the 24th century, Lower Decks is the comedy show that the people on the Enterprise put up their feet and watch this funny animated comedy that takes place in their modern world. And it's not science fiction. It's just a comedy show. (laughs) And like my brain has kind of had to accept it that way. And that's that's just how I do it. Now, that being said, 
I am all for people who enjoy this. I am not saying it shouldn't exist, that, that people shouldn't be happy for, for enjoying it because I hate that. Because like, for example, the people that are just up in arms because they don't like the rings of power. It's like, who the, you know, when we talked about this before we started recording, if you don't like rings of power, just don't fucking watch it. Just, you know, if I don't like what's going on with lower decks, then just like, I don't think about it 10 minutes after it's over. The only reason why I'm thinking about it now is because we have this panel to talk about it. And I, and I have not gone to my Facebook to say like, this isn't canon. I don't like this. I don't do that. I just, every once in a while, I'll usually say like, oh, Lower Decks was funny this week. I laughed at this thing. But I, I, gotta, I gotta ask about this, this fourth wall thing because okay. it seems like if, if let's, you know, assume, let's try to find some kind of like analog organization to Star Trek and you end up, you know, it's hard to do that or to, sorry, to Starfleet. And, and you take something like the military, right? Let's say if you're in the army or whatever. You get these, you get these junior officers, or maybe you go to like your your officer academy, whatever the army academy, West Point, whatever it's called. <laughs> Big military supporter here. Yeah, clearly. Um, but you know, if you go to the Naval Academy or if you go to West Point or whatever the Air Force Academy is called, I believe it's called the Air Force Academy. Um you know, you learn about all these people and you probably study everything about them. And I think the idea that the Lower Decks people would know all this stuff about people in Starfleet is, is not uh, a stretch at all. Like, I don't have a problem with that. But there are times when they talk about, they, they literally in this series, and I don't know exactly when or where, but I know they've named, they've said the names of episodes. They've said sure. the names of okay. episodes that were not, you know, it's like saying the Corbinite maneuver. Okay, that's a thing that exists in the world, right? But if you say the name of an episode that is entirely like, an, like, I don't know, like. I mean, that seems like a weird, a weird line to draw, you know, like maybe the episode. I know, but it bought the log entry. I feel like the problem here is that you have a very literal idea of canon and i have a very like lsd idea of canon and i am so okay with there being canon and there being canon like there being different interpretations of what canon means in each series and it's totally just meshes fine for me to have that kind of you know like three-dimensionality of the idea um, because ultimately it is, a, it is a show, it is a series of shows, it is a series of TV shows that we now have had for multiple decades to the point where it's becoming like a myth. Like I've actually been super curious, like if, if at some point, you know, the Star Trek idea will actually just be completely released from copyright and if we'll just have like this explosion of fan fiction or something, because I feel like it's a big enough world that there should be a wild diversity of not just stories, but of different kinds of textural ways of telling those stories. But I think that- Like the Orville? Like the Orville, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the Orville, the Orville is totally a good example of, you know, Star Trek fan fiction. It's one of the reasons why I'm not interested in watching it because I would be interested in watching, for instance, Star Trek fan fiction that was written by a bunch of women. Um, and so like, you know, but you have, I think that, that, that one of the things you guys are touching on is I have never watched Lower Decks more than once. I have watched every other Star Trek show, also not the animated series, I'm sorry, 
uh, more than once because it's just, there's no point. Like you watch it and it's almost like, it's like fast food, you know? It's like you get, you get what you need, you get the jokes, but there's really no point watching it more than once unless you're looking for specific Easter eggs or trying to, you know, if you, if you want to, for instance, rewatch it because you want to talk about it or something like this. So I don't think that it has, you know, I don't take it as seriously, but that also means I don't take the idea of canon as seriously. And that is a wonderful gift because it allows me to just enjoy it. And I'm not, I'm not taking it literally, you know, where they don't have this world where, I mean, they, they have all kinds of things happening in the, on the Cerritos that if they actually happened aboard a Federation starship for real, there would be, you know, massive implications people would be locked up like there's all kinds of things right including like fighting and swearing constantly and things like that and so you know things are believable in that world that aren't believable in other star trek worlds and that doesn't make it less valid it's just a different way of looking at it see but that's one of the things that i admit i don't have a problem with it they can do lower decks i'm all i'm all for it but just me personally i i I like the consistency of the world. I like, I like the feeling of knowing that I'm in the same world. I just, I admit it. I, I feel that. And so that's why one of the reasons why I think some of the, like, for example, Star Trek, um, uh, what was the last TNG movie that they made? Was it, um, ne- was it Nemesis? Was that the last one? That's the last one. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, they were all excited before they made Nemesis. They were like, this is a new era and we're getting a, a non-Star Trek director to do this. And they got Stuart Baird to do it, uh, who was like a very famous DP who filmed The Omen. And they were, and they were like, you know, the, he's not a Star Trek guy. He's just a filmmaker. And then one of the reasons why that movie sucked is because it didn't feel like Star Trek. It felt like they were trying to make a shitty action movie and like it wasn't quite star trek it wasn't quite a, a shitty action movie the a shitty good action movie right and so it was just somewhere in between it didn't feel like star trek and some of the times th- my problem with it is it doesn't feel like star trek to me but i admit that at the same time i'm fine with it but i also don't like that they break their own rules and what i say by that is and i'll use the example even though my favorite episode of the season was the finale and there were a lot of things i liked about the finale Okay, there were a lot of things that we can get into later, but even though I liked the joke that Shax finally got to eject the warp core, that that was like, you know, like having to be like this big ceremony and everybody and like, that's fine. That's funny. It's a joke. It's good. But it bothered me the whole like he hears somebody make fun of him and he starts crying. That's just not his character. They we spent three seasons building his character to be this. Bajoran tough no, guy, it's, like it's not his caricature, but that's the very thing that I was talking about when I'm when I was saying right. that they are subverting our expectations and building on the characters themselves. I like that. It's a it's a feature, not a bug. Well, but see, to me, it's like it's convenient to make this joke here, so we're going to throw out what whatever we built about the character. And as much as well, I know you don't watch the Orville, but one of the things I like about the Orville is that even though they won't they don't break consistency to tell a joke like that all the characters like they have certain characters who they build jokes around and if they don't 
you know, and they, that character is always going to behave that way. For example, Gordon on the show is always going to be the one that's like, you know, can we stop for pizza, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, he's the one that's going to do that. They don't just randomly have some other person say like, I want to stop for pizza. And my problem was, is that it seemed like they just wanted to have Shaq's had that reaction and it just didn't make sense to me with his character, but I don't want to, I don't want to like. So one more thing on the, on the fourth wall thing, I I've been thinking about it and I realized that I really enjoy fourth wall breaking when it's done well. Um, (laughs) And I think, I think lower decks is actually pretty good at it. Like my favorite kind of joke in this genre is in this season, there's some time when, you know, like, someone makes a joke about time travel and they're like, wait a minute, we've only done that four or five times tops, you know, yeah. like those kind of jokes are great. There was a, I think there was a Buffy episode where they, uh, you know, someone gets kidnapped again or whatever. And they're like, Oh, it must be Tuesday, which is the night the show aired, you know, like that kind of stuff is always, uh, I always enjoy that sort of thing. So maybe that gives Fair me. Enough. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to say that I think that Nemesis feels like very Star Trek because Nemesis feels very much like a bad episode of Star Trek. Nemesis <laughs> feels like every bad episode of TNG I've ever seen. I really like Nemesis, but I haven't seen it since it was in the theater. I like parts of it. I love parts of it. makes that movie hold up because they because of everything they did in season one, especially at Picard with Data, it brought so much de- more depth to that movie. Like when it came out, it I was very random, that. you know. But like now that I rewatched, because I had to rewatch Nemesis because we got our pool boy into Star Trek, that I was like, oh, this movie is better after having seen Star Trek Picard season one. I feel like we could just take the whole podcast about about your pool boy, but uh, you know. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> we can stick with Star Trek. <laughs> yes, anyone who follows you on Facebook is very interested in the Pool Boy story. But he texted it, me today about Sarek. He told uh, me he was he was very amused that Sarek has had a different wife in all of the iterations, and I was like, yes, that that's a thing. And he said, well, it just means that Sarek has a has a human woman fetish, and I think that means that you have a chance with him. So we were joking about it. It was great. Well, here's the other thing about I will say about the whole Sarek thing, though. The fact that he has different wives makes Cybok more believable. So, um, you know, right. I mean, this family can just keep expanding. Maybe he's in a poly. He's in, well, a, dude, he's in a commune. Sarek's a, we've talked about this before on this show. Sarek's a hot mess. He like, is. honestly, like for somebody who thinks, you know, who's a Federation ambassador and all that. He's a hot mess. I mean, someone's going to decide we can't watch Sarek. I can tell you that D- Dorothy Fontana, that's one of the things she objected to. She she took, I've watched, I've read now the story treatments where she first invented Sarek for Journey to Babel. And she wanted him to be the most regal fucking person <laughs> in the universe. And she took him very, very seriously. And in her Star Trek novel, she writes Sarek very... Uh, I don't know. Anyways, I could go on about that because I'm 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 like neck deep in DC DC for 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 Fontana right now. But anyways, enough on that. But um, I will say, like Nemesis, I agree with you that Picard made Nemesis better and improved it. And it's one of those things that, um, you know, I don't know. But I just I I I'm old enough that I've seen every Star Trek movie 
in the theater when it came out, including the motion picture, which is one of the very earliest movies I ever saw in the theater. So I barely remember it. And I'm positive I fell asleep, even though I love it now. Um, but I've seen every movie in the theater and Nemesis, I was very uncomfortable watching that. And the only experience that I can say was worse was Star Trek V, which is a very uncomfortable out-of-body experience of like, what the hell am I watching? I need to watch Nemesis again. Because I, I really... All I remember, honestly, the only scene I remember is Data at the end. That's all I remember. The new, new, whatever, the wiped, uh, whatever. Um, Ramming so speed. I, I obviously don't remember anything about the movie, <laughs> but I liked it when I saw it. All right. Report back when we do Prodigy. You can tell us what you thought of Nemesis. Um, now, uh, I will say one of the episodes that I really liked the concept of is the very first episode, Grounded. Uh, now, I'm, I'm guessing, Isa, like, I'm sure Sarah and I have been watching week to week as it's been going on, but you tend to binge things yes. up until the moment we start. <laughs> I started yesterday. Yes. So it's going to be fresher in your head than ours. But one of the things that I thought was so brilliant about Grounded is that, and I know they've been kind of building all the the the, the season posters off of the movie posters. So I had to this kind of search for Spock thing. And they kind of set up the idea that the lower deckers were going to have to steal the Cerritos and do all this. Well, what was brilliant about the first episode was, is that it was the most lower decks of the concept, pretty much of the entire series that the actual episode of Star Trek happened off screen because the whole trial and everything with Mariner's mom was, was, the the traditional star trek episode that's your star trek episode whereas we got the weird lower decks mishaps when they were trying to do the the, the star trek thing and failed and that's what was so brilliant about that episode uh the boimler like with all the women at the vineyard thing was a little weird to me i still like am uncomfortable that was about that. Hilarious, I it's just a running joke if it's just yeah. like it's one of the things that i think lower decks is really well is like it's just this recurring joke that all of these women are inexplicably interested in Boimler and he's completely oblivious about it it's hilarious and it, there's you know you don't really need a backstory for that it's just like a recurring thing and I think it's hilarious right and but I do think that the concept for this one is the smartest lower decks concept that they've had and I just and love... I love that it was a raisin farm that's that was hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, uh, that it did look like Picard's vineyard to yeah. a degree. That was that was funny. Um, but like I said, I, th I thought the concept was was that one. I was like, oh, this is really smart. It's brilliant, and really sold the concept. It just as a as a like, I imagine them sitting in the writers' room and having the thought of, well, what if the Star Trek episode happened off camera? And then we just find out later. That's like, I feel the like they do that a lot. Like, I feel like a lot of the episodes have, have kind of been like that. Yeah, to a degree. And that's that's selling the uh, concept of um, Lord X and that they're that they're um, and like a lot of this, I'm going to like remember some of them, but not really know if I'm explaining the episode correctly. I don't know if you guys have anything on the first episode, anything else, but can move on to the least dangerous game which was the second episode um them cosplaying and playing a klingon board game uh very funny that's the best easter eggs of um 
the season because they were actually using sound effects from the Klingon board game and um, that existed in the 90s. And um, so that was super deep dive Easter egg. Very funny. Um, and the fact that they got um, the, guy, the guy who played Gauron back to do the voices. <clears throat> I'm all for that. It was very funny. Um, other than that, I don't remember. I know there was all the whole Ransom Mariner thing where, uh, but that, that, that part didn't interest me as much. I just, I admit that the funny stuff with the Klingons, I kind of like, you know, I gotta say, David, I feel like, I feel like I'm watching you like pick on a little kid. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) It's almost like we're at some like sporting event and some little kid, like a little league game or something. Little kid has like tried to throw the ball and it was a pretty good throw, but it didn't quite get to the plate or whatever. And you're just like, God, that kid just can't throw to the plate or whatever. You know? Like, Like, it's fair. It's fair. You're right. I look. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I think. Well, no, but I will. I do think what they're that doing this right. show would drive people crazy if they try to take it too seriously. Totally. Like if you, it would just. I can't even imagine how crazy it would drive me if I was super serious about. Like I am. I'm serious about Star Trek, and that I think about it every day. I think about it all the time. I watch it all the time, but I'm not. You know. I, 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 the, the, the brilliance of the show is it exists to make fun of Star Trek. So you can't, by definition, you cannot take it too seriously. Right. And some of my favorite moments, like besides the KLS sex helmet in season two, which is the thing that I will always remember going back forever. But um, like the things like when they make fun of the Magatu and how everybody says it differently throughout the episode, those are the things when they make fun of Star Trek that I, enjoy the most but it's funny because at the same time it's like it's also the thing that i kind of reject in my brain as canon but at the same time like if you make me laugh i'll go with it it's fine and it's and like i guess what you're saying sarah is you don't take it too seriously and i don't take it too seriously either um but at the same time like you know we've gotten one episode of prodigy back already and i loved every stinking second of it and I just, there, there's like a love in my heart that I have for Prodigy that I just don't have for Lower Decks. Well, and it's I, very different. It is very, very, very different. different. Yeah. And then, um, and, and to me, Prodigy feels like Star Trek. And, and, and to me, Lower Decks feels like, um, like I said, like a comedy that takes place in the Star Trek world. That's what it feels like to me. But again, I'm beating up on the Little League kid and like I, I I get it, Isa, but anyways, uh so the third episode was was the one that is Tendi and her first day in senior science officer training. Tendi is a great character. I really like Tendi as a character. Um she's one of my favorite characters on Lower Decks. Um I like that she's the Orion who hates the stereotypes of Orions, but has the fun moment where she gets to be in Orion. It's kind of fun. Uh, I don't know if it was that episode or another one, but... That was the Deep Space Nine episode. That was the Deep Space Nine episode, yeah, which we'll get to. And then... Let's see. Um, There's the Delta Shift storyline, which I thought was very funny. 
Um, one thing I do like about that is that I always like when Star Trek actually looks at how the ship functions and how the shifts work and those things. Like if I was writing episodes, I would always be looking at like, I would always look for little moments where I could talk about shift change or, you know, date, you know, you know, what time it is on the ship, those kinds of things. Like I love that. So I like that they had this, you know, and, and, and I thought the storyline of them trying to sneak through the ship was pretty funny and, um, you know, give some love to Matt Jeffries and the Jeffries tubes and where that all came from. So I thought that was fun. Um, you know, but again, I don't have a ton to say about it. I don't know. Stop me. If you guys have anything you want to say about these particular episodes, because otherwise no, I, I think it all, it all kind of blends together very much. It's all very, you know, it's, it's very forgettable, you know, and, and I don't mean that like it's bad, just, it's not, um, you can't analyze it too much because it's it's not meant. It, I don't think it's meant for to the be. bird episode. The bird episode sticks out like a beautiful sore thumb. We'll get there. We'll get that there. That was by far my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that would be. And, yeah. and I loved I, it because it was weird. Yeah, we'll get there in a minute because I have I have definite feelings on that one. Um, <laughs> Reflections episode five is the one with the um, Starfleet recruitment table. Um, and that of course was very hilarious. And, um, as somebody who's tabled for animal rights at a million hardcore shows, um, I like kind of, you know, felt like, um, which is by the way, how, how I met Isa, um, but you know, the tabling thing was very funny to me. And, um, even though the whole Boimler losing it kind of thing, I don't know you know correct me if i'm wrong if it seems in character or out of character or whatever i didn't care because i thought it was funny so in the end i was with the joke um and uh um i just like that there was a job fair kind of thing um rutherford as a character kind of grows a lot in that that one and rutherford is very interesting because i like where he goes but it's really funny because and this is a, like a little thing again this is you're gonna accuse me of beating up on the little league kid here Isa. i can't stand rutherford's voice but i like the character a lot what, what don't you like about his voice so high-pitched and it drives me nuts and just like he's always like yeah, 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 yeah. very happy everybody on the show is like that though it's, that's the thing about a cartoon it's... go back and look i complained about that after season one like even when they used original the original actors which they do constantly they do something to their voices like i think they actually speed it up a little bit and change the pitch a little bit because a lot of them are barely recognizable yeah all right so episode and speaking of that that's a good segue into the return of kira norris and uh quirk and uh episode six here all trust nothing (laughs) Um, I have mixed feelings on this episode as a enormous Deep Space Nine fan who like loves Deep Space Nine to the very core of his being. I was excited to see Deep Space Nine again. Um, And I did love the whole storyline with um, uh, uh, Mariner meeting the girlfriend's friends was very funny. Um, that was a very funny joke thing. Uh, seeing Deep Space Nine was great. I loved the joke about let's just 
spin around while the music sways you know that's an example of breaking the fourth wall there even though i laughed at it that is breaking the fourth wall because that's like talking about it as if you know the theme song and and it is breaking the fourth wall so that's an example i loved Shaxx and kira fighting about who saved each other's lives more often that was very funny joke in world um kira is one of my all-time favorite deep space nine characters like because she's a resistance fighter and and all that and um so seeing kira kira again and i i want um like silver-haired nana visitor in modern star trek so badly because she looks so freaking rad right now and she would be awesome as kira nuri so yeah. like kira she looks nuri- like a fairy she, she just she's one of those old ladies that is blessed with like one out of every 200 old ladies ends up looking like a fairy and she's one of them and i love it yeah she looks fucking You're gonna cool. google what she looks like because i haven't seen her in the <laughs> um yeah she looks really cool and they need to get her back in there and we need to explore what bejar is doing there were some neat little things there that were smart continuities on that note the fact that all of deep space nine's um uh command crew on the at, at ops in this episode we're all Bajoran, which means that they have grown up enough that they can send Starfleet away and Bajor can take control of Deep Space Nine, which is like a little thing, but means a lot in canon, um, which was cool. And this episode, like, you know, the Quark stuff didn't amuse me as much, which is funny because Quark had all the best comedy episodes of Deep Space Nine, right? A lot of them. You know, I mean, there's a reason why when even talking about other TV shows, writers refer to episodes being Ferengi episodes when they're comedy episodes. Like, that's like a thing now. (laughs) Um, And so it was weird that the comedy didn't work so much for me with the Quark storyline. Although it was fine. And, um, but at the same time, there's a bit of me that's like, man, could we see Deep Space Nine and, and Picard? Could we see Deep Space Nine in a seven spinoff on on titan a or whatever we get in the future can we please see deep space nine again um a little bit more for real i know i'm sorry throw arrows at me for saying that but i know how did you guys feel about this deep space nine episode well you know i didn't i wasn't like a huge deep space nine fan unlike everybody else and uh, i always hated the frangi i never thought they were done well at all and so i didn't really care about deep space nine is the when when they were actually taken seriously as characters though like in tng they were just throwaway comedic value that was it and then you know in in deep space nine is the first time they actually did something interesting with the frangi and I never found out because I never finished Deep Space Nine. So I, I will accept oh. it. Oh, you got to do that. Every time. You guys just can't process the concept that someone didn't finish it. So I understand. Uh, I, I understand. Nana, Nana I mean, it's, the awesome. first season of Deep Space Nine is really hard. It's really almost unwatchable. Like, I don't know what to do when we, when, when my, my, I'm, I'm getting our pool boy into all the Star Treks. And when we get to Deep Space Nine, I'm like, I don't know what to do because the first season just, yeah, I can't remember the first two seasons of Next Gen. The first two seasons of Next Gen are very hard to watch. That is true. You but have to they're, really because have to... they're more short stories. It's 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 more forgivable because they're at least entertaining in like a campy way. But with Deep Space Nine, it's it's almost boring, and it's, and yet it's necessary yes, but... because you have to get you have to get all that character development 
but you understand, you know, what happens and where there, people go with that. But there are there are gems in the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine. Like Duet is one of the best episodes, and it's a Kira Norris episode that is is one of the best Holocaust episodes or Holocaust analogy episodes Star Trek ever did. And that's like in the first season, I think. Um, it's either first or second, but that's like that's when the show really started to get good. But I understand Issa and at some I'll point I'll get to it someday. I will I will definitely watch it someday. Yeah, well I think that requires an episode. Like if you you get through <laughs> I, I mean I would even do season by season with you if you Okay. I will force I'll you, let you know when I have time in my schedule to watch the whole thing. But I will force you to do it. Okay. I, I would I would do that because I am interested to see I because I think you'll fall in love with Deep Space Nine like everyone else does if you sit down and force yourself to watch. I mean, from what I've heard, it, it, the ending is a lot better than the beginning. So, you know, whatever. But I, I Googled Nana Visitor and she looks awesome. I thought I'd accidentally Googled Annie Lennox, but no. Uh, <laughs> and uh, be awesome. They should, get her, they should get her on the show. <laughs> uh, yes, 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 yes. Get Nana Visitor back. And she's super active Star Trek actor as far as being at all the cruises and all the convention so you know she deserves it so um on that note um sarah what did you think of the deep space nine episode i thought it was great i i you know i love deep space nine but i loved it like i had to i stopped watching it when it first came out um i think i was just too upset about tng ending around that time and I wasn't super engaged again because the first season's not super engaging I was absolutely one of those teenagers that was like I don't understand they're not going anywhere and I regret that now and it was really just years later that you know I got into it and I got into it years later because of the internet because I was joining fandom groups because people kept talking about how great it was and so you know because of that I forced myself to, well, to watch it and as soon as I got past the first season I was like oh okay I get it you know and and then obviously it you know just gets better and better as each season progresses and you know beautifully so absolutely beautiful I will um, say for me like I didn't watch the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine when it was on when it aired and I was in college and the I accidentally watched the the season finale where that was the part one of the search with with Odo and I had no context for any of it I just watched that episode because I was bored and I was like I do love Star Trek let me see what this is and I watched that episode and was like man this is really good I gotta go mm -hmm. back and watch it and so I did start like at a really random weird point at the like after all of that and was still able to get hooked so it can't happen I, I was excited when it aired I watched, I definitely watched the whole first season. Um, and I'm sure I watched more. If I'm sure I need to go back and look at like the synopsis and figure out where I dropped off. But I never made it to the Defiant, but I watched like seasons and seasons of them on this stupid space station not going anywhere. And that was the main <laughs> point about the show. Just that it wasn't interesting because they never went anywhere. Well, where they I were at was fairly it. interesting as it was a post-Holocaust occupation uh outpost right outside of a post holocaust but whatever anyways yeah, sure, so sure. so so they went back to deep space nine and lower decks it was great everyone should love and respect deep space nine um then 
comes a mathematically perfect redemption, which was the Bird Planet episode, as it will be remembered with Peanut Hamper, Hamper, which, you know, I admit I didn't remember the the original Peanut Hamper episode at all. Like it was totally out of my brain. So at first it was just like, what are they doing? And then it took me a while to remember, oh yeah, there was this episode and Peanut Hamper, the character just was like, I'm out of here. Well, they but showed I, it at the beginning of the episode. They, they, they kind of did, yeah, but I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it either, but it wasn't. Yeah. They did do it in the previously on, otherwise I would have had been like, what is going on here? Right. Yeah, I, I, I found the Peanut Hamper episode, the original one, very memorable because they are, again, you know, subverting expectations about artificial intelligence, especially because they, they did all this stuff with data in TNG, and it's one of the reasons why TNG was great, you know, where they have this Pinocchio character that loves humans and wants to be a human and all of that. It is hilarious to have a robot. It's like, fuck you guys. I don't like this from the get-go. You know, it was, it's hilarious. And so for, you know, the idea of revisiting that because it was such a great character and saying, yep, it's still a little asshole is, you know, but it, and that, and that episode though, it was like, there are some, there are, Every now and then there's a, an episode of Star Trek where, where you, you were like, am I on drugs? Did I take mushrooms today accidentally? Like was threshold. there something in my breakfast? <laughs> yeah. So it was like one of those. It was so weird. I remember like people on Twitter were like, what did I just watch? What just happened? <laughs> and that's great. It's, it, you know, I, I, would, I would imagine that if I wrote for Star Trek, that's actually the kind of reaction that I would want the most because there's something really deliciously evil about that well if you if you watch my interview with brandon braga you will see when he talks about writing threshold he not only says that yes i flew too close to the sun on that one (laughs) but he has a big smile on his face when he's talking about it and he knows and does not care um he thinks it's hilarious that people (laughs) and by the way he loved that the animated version that they that that guy did on youtube i don't know if you've seen it um (laughs) You gotta see it. He, this guy made a animated version, like in the style of the '70s animated series version <laughs> of Threshold. And I, I'm excited that I was the one that got to send it to Brandon yeah. and, and get his attention to it. And um, like it was like 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and like he wrote me back like five minutes later and was like, "That's, I'm so happy <laughs> to have seen it," <laughs> and awesome. said that he thought it was the best version, but. <laughs> Um, and he did talk about that here on this podcast. So, um, but anyways, yes, I agree with you. Like one of the things about this episode, I don't usually comment on lower decks episodes on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, I did comment on this episode and my first comment was, I'm not sure that I, that I actually enjoyed the episode, but God bless it for existing, (laughs) for being so weird. And, um, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm a pretty secular person. So it's weird to say that, but bless its heart for (laughs) being weird. uh, Because I loved, even though that I wouldn't minute to minute, I'm not sure I enjoyed it. I just so appreciated that it was weird and went for it. And I was all about that. And um, like the bird planet stuff, all of it, like fucking hilarious. Um, I, I wanted my money back or my time back. I, I just <laughs> nothing away from that episode that I didn't like the fact that there was like 
a sex scene with a robot and a bird. And that's not. That's just not my sense of humor. Like uh, that didn't do anything for me. And, and they they bring they rang that joke bell too many times in the episode too. So it it was uh, yeah. It, it didn't do anything for me. Uh, the return of the voice of Jeffrey Combs. So adding to his like being all over Star Trek. Um, also, I would like to say before we stop talking about the bird episode. My partner walked by when I was walking when I was watching that because it is a truth universally acknowledged that if you are watching Star Trek the, and somebody walks in who doesn't watch it, so weird as shit will be going on. And that is what happened. He walks in and he was like, "Is this for kids?" <laughs> He's like, "This can't be for kids." And I was like, "No, it's not." I had to explain the whole thing. <laughs> um, the um, the repository for uh angry ais <laughs> that, well, uh, the prison that for anything. angry ais is still one of my favorite concepts on lower decks and i know they're gonna use that later and they're all gonna work together and they're gonna have to there's gonna there's gonna be some storyline with that and that's that's hilarious yeah uh, eventually um that's one of the funniest ways they make fun of the tropes of star trek um it's like kind of like those godlike beings, you know, thing that just gets over and over and over again. Um, <clears throat> all right, crisis point two, paradoxus. Um, this is where we get to see the sovereign class um, uh, starships. Uh, Boimler's holodeck movie. Um, I laughed a lot in this one. Thought it was very funny. It's where you love the titles. The titles were great. Yes. Yeah. Um, this was one of my favorite episodes of the season because partially because it doesn't hurt my canon brain that like they're making up this is a movie that they're making up but you know also playing with the idea that the holodecks are always kind of going insane and all that and um it's uh very funny so i enjoyed this episode any thoughts on this one because i thought it was great um I liked it. I, I have to admit, I didn't, I've completely forgotten about the first movie. So it was sort of like, kind of like, it's, it's funny that I didn't even remember that they were riffing off a previous episode, but I, I they did it well and it didn't matter. So, yeah. And I love the stand in for Dr. Marcus, the, again, the Boimler, like having, you know, no interest and, and bringing Why are back, you hot? bringing back <laughs> the fact that his, uh, his transporter clone was killed which yeah. i think by the way is um uh i almost i almost see okay i have to explain this there's this movie a perfect getaway and it's a, one of the most underrated thrillers ever made it's on peacock so anybody can watch it on peacock if you've got peacock a perfect getaway has there's a joke in the movie where a character is talking to another character who he thinks is a screenwriter and he says my favorite thing is movies is when there's the red snapper and he's like no it's a red herring and he's like no i'm pretty sure it's red snapper and because of that every time i go to say red herring i start to say red snapper because it's a movie that hardly anyone has seen people are like what the fuck are you talking about when you say red snapper and i just almost said red snapper the red snapper uh, yeah, that's, anyway, that's everyone see Perfect Getaway. It's one. Of the, it's by the director of Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick, and it has it's Timothy Oliphant before he was a big star, and it's one of the most underrated 
most excellently written thriller movies ever, ever, ever. Watch Perfect Getaway. Anyways, um, so uh, yeah, the whole thing with his transporter clone being killed, um, I think is a red herring that we're going to come back to later. I think he's in section 31 or something. He's doing something really, really cool. And eventually Boimler, Boimler and his is going to be confronted by his other cool self that's doing amazing stuff for section 31. And I think they're definitely setting that up, but, um, but it, it's kind of an interesting thing to have him like dealing with, you know, which also plays with the whole thing of that. Um, Riker seem to not worry about the fact that there's a clone of himself out there, <clears throat> you know, until he shows up on deep space nine. Hey, spoilers. Come on. <laughs> 30 year old spoilers. Yeah, totally. yeah, you'll forget. I, I have seen a perfect getaway. I just didn't remember it. But yeah, I remember liking it. That's all I remember about it. It's been a while. Great fucking movie. Cool. Perfect getaway. Anyways. Um, and then nine uh, was Trusted Sources, which is the one with the reporter on the ship. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just getting over. I had that really awful flu that was going around last week. And then with the reporter on the ship, we kind of have like the smart storyline where um, the only person who, you know, the whole thing with Mariner being the only one that was actually saying good things. And then she's the one that gets blamed. Pretty good. That was like, well, that was well done. And, and it, but it was one of the least interesting things I thought. Like they, you know, they were just the whole, I'm going to run off with the archaeologist just seemed very, I didn't do anything for me. Well, the fact that she's working for Picard too. Uh, that was cute. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, do you have anything on that one, Sarah? I I was thinking also about that episode when I was talking about um, subverting expectations with the characters because I really did think, oh, they're they're like the first half of that episode. You really do think that, oh, Mariner really did talk shit about everybody because that's what you are led to believe the character would do in the first two seasons. You know, you have like, and so it really shows growth and also a little bit of surprise for the audience to have you know it play out the way that it played out. And in its own way, they're sort of commenting on the nature of gossip and the nature of oh, well, you know, once you're sort of known for something, then you can get blamed, you can get sort of pigeonholed for, you know, people automatically think, oh, that's definitely something that Mariner did. And so, you know, in its own way, it, it, it is sort of, um, I don't want to say, I don't, I feel like it's, it's, it's giving them too much credit to say it makes you think, but it, it has sort of its own little societal commentary going on. And I really liked that episode because of what, you know, the sort of, uh, Mara twist at the end and you know just having her be those moments of being more genuine and I feel like it is something that she would have done in season one where she would have just talked shit about everybody and then gotten into trouble so it is sort of showing character growth like I feel like Mariner and a couple of the other main characters have grown since season one and that they are showing us that and that's one of the ways that keeps the show interesting yeah, beyond right, yeah. the jokey jokey stuff and what so, is what you guys will know the answer to this why is starbase 80 funny what is what is uh is there some other canonical <laughs> thing about starbase 80 well no they've that was established here but i think um and by the way there's a starbase 80 twitter account now that you can follow 
that's really hilarious and they just like, oh i would God. not be doing that but that's very funny yeah oh it God. has like don't tempt me to go back to twitter for permanently <laughs> it's not as that's good a as great the, idea it's not as good as the galtacott um twitter that basically just um copies everything trump says right it's fucking hilarious um that is the best uh so yeah the starbase 80 thing i think is just like the idea that there's like I think it's just the joke that they established here yeah. that it's just okay. the the worst. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they ever yeah. had Starbase eighty before, but okay. Yeah, and it it works in universe because it's just yeah. the idea that there would be a worst Starbase. There would be you right. know the sort of bad mall right. that still nobody use goes to anymore. Right. right, like that's the like Rolodex was great. That was that was hysterical. Now we've had rogue AIs. We've had godlike beings on lower decks. We have to have the bad admiral story. And, uh, you know, the bad admiral trope is so deep on Star Trek that even though Admiral Vance on Discovery has been an awesome character, everyone suspected him as being bad from the beginning. I didn't. Well, yeah, I know. And I didn't totally either, but I know a lot of people did. Um, so the last, the finale episode, uh, the stars at night, which is of course a pretty clever, uh, uh, Texas reference, um, that I don't think everybody got, um, from, uh, uh, but the, with the Texas class, episode, Texas class thing, I, there's a degree to me that the Texas class storyline kind of, it's funny because this episode I thought was great and I really liked this episode, but I, 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 there's a little bit of my brain that kind of rejects the Texas class storyline because we did that in the original series with like the whole episode with the ultimate computer that was running the three ships. And we've kind of already done that one, but that's okay. I'll, I'll live with that. And, um, but the bad Admiral storyline was kind of funny. And it's, I, I kind of like the part where they're like, why are you doing this? <coughs> why are you doing this? You don't need money. Or, you know, they basically made the joke of like, you know, uh, and, and so there was that going on. I love that all the California ships work together at the end. And then we got that joke of like, you know, the fact that there's an Inglewood uh, ship is very funny to me. Like every small town in California had a ship. It was great. <laughs> right. Was it, was there a Culver city? There was a Culver city. Wasn't there? I, I don't remember. I remember Inglewood. I remember Burbank. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure they were all in there, you know, like, <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and it was the 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 Tellerite captain that was standing on the chair was fucking hilarious. Oh, that made me laugh very hard. So there were lots of things in that that I thought were were, were very funny. I loved uh, the archaeologists working hard. Great stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, very good stuff. Um, uh, this episode, uh, Mike McCannon, I think, is really kind of tying things together in what's kind of going on in the show and giving Mariner a chance to come back and be the hero and all that. You know, like that she tied all the California ships together it was great. It was fun stuff um, and uh, kind of showed promise for where they can go with things in the future. And I love the idea that they're racing on a mission and that they and it was a great scene that they they lost because they sought to do the science right and then prove that was a very Star Trek moment. And it was a very good like tip of the hat to the ideals of the Federation. 
and why that, um, you know, that was just a really neat little thing. And I love that. I love that. That was the thing. So any thoughts on the, on the finale and then we'll get back into some more overall thoughts of what's going on with Star Trek. Sarah. <laughs> I punt. I enjoyed it. Like, I, I feel like you guys have to complain about something before I can defend it properly. <laughs> I, that... I liked it fine. I watched the finale. I finished, I timed my series to finish it right before we started this talk. Um, yeah, I it was, was expecting it was... more of like a cliffhanger just because the last season episode ended with one, but. Yeah, it was, it was totally enjoyable. And when, when season four comes out, I won't remember anything that happened in season three and that'll be funny. You know, that's that's the level of seriousness I, I give the show. I do enjoy it, but that, you know, it is what it is. It's it's not supposed to be It's like, fast food. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, you know, that's a thing. And um, so the good news is on top of this is that, you know, we've got another season in the books for Lower Decks. They've already been working on season four. We have a lot of great Star Trek to look forward to, including Prodigy started up again. And um, I loved the first episode of Prodigy. And I do want to put a shout out since we've got Janeway back um, that uh, last week, um, Kate Melgrew visited the Captain Janeway statue in my hometown of Bloomington, Indiana. I watched it live on Facebook because I couldn't fly back. I don't know if anybody saw any of the footage for it, but it was funny how emotional I got watching it. They had um, a flutist in a Starfleet uniform playing all the Star Trek themes on flute. Oh, yeah. oh that is so adorable. When she was, they, and they, you know, you could see Kate Mulgrew standing off to the side while she was playing the Prodigy theme on flute. And I swear I was like getting a little misty because you could see Kate Mulgrew standing in the background while this dork. <laughs> and I say that in the greatest possible loving terms is playing her flute out of her, you know, out of her mind, the prodigy <laughs> theme, right? Where she's playing that she has the second parts that she recorded on flute playing in the background. Now, did know. she have music or did she know these songs? She knew them. So okay. she had where she had recorded all the other background parts so she could play the leads on flute live. And she had to stand in a certain way because it was certain it was particularly windy there, so you know it was live. And then the last moment after she plays the Prodigy theme, which was great, she played all like the Next Generation theme and everything before that. But Kate Mulgrew walks out as she as she's playing the Voyager theme on flute, and I, I got to tell you guys, I was straight up crying. Oh. Like, oh, I was straight up cheering because it was oh. such an emotional moment. And then, and I've posted pictures that Kamo Gru comes out and stands with the statue. And for me, one of the most heartwarming moments is when she saw the plaque that explains Janeway's mission and everything. There's a little picture of Jerry Taylor, who is the creator of Janeway, one of the creators of Voyager. And the reason why Janeway is from Bloomington is because Jerry Taylor went to IU and in Bloomington. And so they have a little picture of her on the plaque. And there's a moment where Kate Mulgrew put her hand on her heart and said, Jerry Taylor put her hand on it. And she said, I wouldn't be here without you. Oh, and I was like, as somebody who loves writers and writers impact, I was just, that was a great moment. I wanted yeah. to shout out 
Mary Beth and Peter, who were the originators of starting the Janeway Collective. Um, they're awesome people and they did an amazing job. There was an enormous crowd out there and Kate Malgrew took, stood there for out for like more than an hour, taking pictures with everyone with a statue. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was very cool. And it made me even more emotional that we were getting our prodigy back, which was really cool. So I'm really stoked on that. And, uh, I just wanted to shout out. Of Mary Beth and Peter because they're awesome and they did a, a fantastic job and Peter was sick and wasn't able to actually be there and it it broke my heart that he wasn't able to be there that day after all the work he put in <clears throat> for it but um yeah it was if you get a chance to go back and see the footage from it it's really funny and adorable great moment and shout out to Bloomington my hometown um uh it's awesome and Kay Mulgrew said when she was driving around town, she kept thinking, like, this is a really beautiful place. I wonder, if J- did, did Janeway live here? Did she walk around these streets? You know, and so it was, it was a really cool moment. So on that note, we're done with Lord X. So the next time we get together, we'll probably be Prodigy. But we've also got uh, the next season of Discovery has had trailers. <clears throat> we know they're done filming uh, Strange New Worlds season two. I believe we're going to get Discovery before that. <laughs> but the card's um, on the way too with oh, a bunch of stuff three. going on. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I do have thoughts on that. And I want to get your thoughts on this and uh, on there. Um, when the trailer for Picard season three came out, I thought it looked great. But um, the cast members started to say things like, hey, we could make a movie. We could, we, we don't not necessarily done. Well, and Jonathan Frakes did that 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 tweet to to like you know make us curious, where he was like, "It might not be dot 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 the final episode," and okay. everybody was like losing their minds, like, "What?" <laughs> See, I'm of the personal opinion that if you can get a good send off with this series, you let it be the send off, and that's what I wanted to say. I wanted that to never that never unless. <laughs> And but it's see, really I, hard to walk away from something like that, you know. Yeah, and I'm so excited to have more Jordy, and that his kids are in Starfleet. Oh, nice! I haven't I haven't heard anything about it, so I'm just, I'm learning it all from you two right now. So yeah, well, then I I won't say much more, but uh, it's fine. I'll forget. <laughs> I I just they were totally headlines, like saying like Jordy's daughter is playing an ensign in the next season of, of Picard. So it's not really a spoiler. Yeah. Unless you're like not on the internet at all. Yeah, and there's a scene where Picard is in the captain's chair and says "Engage Ensign LaForge" or whatever. Nice. So, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna love that. I mean, like that's that's what I'm here for. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I like a healthy dose of nostalgia in my track, or or I like something new that I haven't seen before. Well, and a good friend of mine, uh, shout out to uh, um, Tom Bateman, who went and did the UCLA research with me. He used to work in an office that was shared with Terry, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, Milanis, who's the showrunner of Picard season three. They used to eat lunch together sometimes because their offices were by nearby commissary. And Tom has said that um, Terry is the real deal and is a really great guy. And he loved talking Star Trek with him just at lunch. And I feel for the guy because he's been taking on everybody on Twitter. 
<clears throat> and the people who just want to hate it, but I think he's great. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. So Picard season three. Uh, but I, but if they have a good ending, I think they should just let it go. You know, if they have a good ending. Everyone's excited and wants more. It's so hard to quit these things. I'm sure they'll make a movie or whatever. You know. Yeah, I think they need to spin off into a seven show. That's just my opinion. But um, well, it's the thing about what he said is, and why partly why everybody was losing their minds because he could have meant anything by that, and it, it yeah. is entirely possible that there is already a movie planned and that the last season of Picard is supposed to end on a cliffhanger. There is because they know that they'll make a shit ton of money if they do another movie, and it is entirely possible that he just means that they're going to pass the torch on to the next crew and that we're going to get another Enterprise crew. Anything's possible. Right. All right. On that note, um, any other Star Trek things we want to talk about before we go? Anything else? No, I, I, I watched Prodigy, but I'm going to wait until a few more episodes are out. But I, I really enjoyed Prodigy a lot. Yeah, Prodigy is super fun. Yeah. And uh, I'm very upset that I cannot get a plush Murph anywhere. Like, it, we were talking about this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, a bunch of the people who are in Star Trek and how, like, the people who run the Star Trek official shop don't seem to be fans because they seem to be, it's like, it kind of feels like Kmart runs the runs the official uh, shop for StarTrek.com. It's frustrating. There's a lot of and there's weird things like a lot of T-shirts will only come in men's or and it's like, come on, man, do you not know your fans at all? And I wanted a plush Murph since the first episode of Prodigy, and I they haven't done that obvious thing, and I'm really mad about it. Well, on that note, my my discovery hat. I would love to have a 1701 hat for the original Enterprise, and I don't know why there isn't one. Of, of all ships, you should have a hat for the crew. Idiot. Of, I'm of telling you, idiots run this site. I know they didn't wear hats in that particular series, but maybe they did on their off time, damn it. And, you know, if Discovery has hats, Enterprise should have hats. But, um, and it could be from the Pike era for all we care, you know, because and then they can retroactively they can put a hat on Spock for an away <laughs> mission. Come on, you can do I it. think we could write in another the helmet. Spock helmet. I, I think I think Spock had a lesser known <laughs> sibling who ran a hat factory. So <laughs> there yeah, you yeah, go. We can get that in there. <laughs> exactly. Dorothy Fontana would be so angry, but it's an excuse for hats. So uh, on that note, yes, a Murph plushie would be great um yeah and uh um zero is my favorite character on uh prodigy i just want to put that out there um i love that uh it's a that there's a medusin on the show so great and uh um yeah so on that note uh star trek will uh is back with prodigy still and so we will see you folks um in what nine weeks or whatever long we've got for prodigy uh, thanks for listening, uh, folks. Um, the numbers on these Star Trek episodes have gotten better as they go. So people are listening and I appreciate that. I, it's weird. You People aren't saying anything, but I'm seeing that you're listening all the way through, which is interesting. 
you can uh, hit us up, make comments too, because um, then we know what you want us to talk about next time. So if you made it this far, um, let us know what you like, don't like, um, you know, tell me I'm mean for beating up on, on little league kids. Um, <laughs> lower decks. I get it. I get it. It's, it's low hanging fruit, but, um, and maybe we'll convince Sarah that just because there's some asshole Orville fans, you should still watch the Orville. It's still very good. Uh, especially is it, is it the fans or the, uh, creators? no, no, it's well, they're the fans definitely made it worse because there was a whole thing for years where they kept saying the that Orville was the real track and that Discovery was shit and stuff like that. But you, you know, it's it's Seth MacFarlane. His 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 fingers are all over that show, and it's it, every time there was. I I did watch the first couple episodes, and I was like, mm, there's just too much good TV right now. There's too much competition. I don't need this in my life, and it's because. There's too much Seth MacFarlane in it. I well, mean, that, that gets dialed back as the seasons go. In season three, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not anti-Seth MacFarlane. I, I, though I don't watch The Family Guy. I've never really been a big fan of anything he's done before this. But I really appreciate what he's doing with the Orville. And there's a lot of Star Trek vets there. Uh, David Goodman, uh, Brandon Braga, um, Andre Bormas um, are all star trek vets and they love star yeah. trek and they don't like i can tell you that they hate the antagonism that some of their fans have set up with the original star trek because they still love star trek yeah. and they don't appreciate that and but seth mcfarlane wanted to make star trek they didn't let him so he made his own and yeah. you know he and they were wise not to let him <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I have to say, I like Discovery. I like all the new tracks, but Orville is my favorite of all the new shows, uh, except for maybe Strange New Worlds. Um, but Orville is just, it's fantastic. And I completely understand why anyone wouldn't like it because it's the Seth MacFarlane humor is is just very... Uh, that's the thing. You have to have a, at least, a, 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 you don't have to have a taste for it, but you have to just be able to like you know you have to find it you have to not puke it up afterwards and it's just yeah. well, well you should know by yeah. season three that season... man is like the man equivalent of nails on a chalkboard for me and so it's really actively annoying so and irritating i i would say that the nails on chalkboard i completely understand and what's kind of crazy and it's one of those things where if you watched it you would see but i understand why you wouldn't get past the nails on the chalkboard it's also got great jokes but then it also has some really stupid jokes like sometimes it's like but yeah the first couple episodes were like anyone. that but i it really does come down to a paradox of choice there are did you so get to the, did many you get shows that i have not gotten a chance there were there were shows came out that i just started watching season two of the great i loved the great it was amazing on hulu and I, it just, because there was so much else in my queue, it took me a couple months to get to it. And I feel bad because then when, you know, it was the rational thing when like those shows aren't, aren't renewed. I'm like, oh, it's my fault. And then I'm like, no, that's stupid. But you know, that's how it feels because it just, there are so many goddamn shows right now. It's almost irritating how much good content there is. It's hard. It's, it's, you... it's a lot of pressure to keep up with everything. Now, Sarah, I'm curious. Did you get to the Topa episode of Orville? Because that's where it comes together. The... I think that's episode three. 
Yeah, that's the episode with with the transgender with the. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I did watch that episode, and to, to be fair, a lot of people who are transgender did not appreciate that episode. So I generally look to the group, the 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 in group uh, that they're they're depicted when that kind of thing happens. Like, do does it have their stamp of approval? Uh, and it did not. So it was well, one I, of those things. I will say that the transgender community came around with the further episodes in that storyline. And, and, and I specifically, I know like Jesse gender was very pro where that storyline went, like, you know, who's one of the most, I, I do, I do common. enjoy Jesse gender. Yes. Yeah. yeah and I know she, it? she really enjoyed what they did in season three with that storyline. So, um, and I, and I think that it definitely improved, but Again, season three is where there are a lot of his original fans complained that there was no that the humor was gone by season three. You know, I and the, I liked it more. I heard that actually. I heard somebody say that, and it was the first genuine, genuine temptation that I had to watch it. Sarah, you would very much like the world if you watched it without like Twitter or whatever and ignored every all the meta stuff about I it. I did watch it without Twitter. I mean, at the time, you remember when it first came out, I watched it when it first came out and most people were like, this is great. This is just like Star Trek. And this was before the hate started and everything else. And it was really just McFarlane. Well, so, and I will, I will tell enough. you, if you watch um, my interview with Brandon about making season three of the Orville, he mentioned that in the beginning that there was a lot of pressure from the network to make it Seth McFarlane-y. And one of the reasons why he fought to get to Hulu was so he didn't have the network pressuring him to do like family guy humor, right? Like that's one of the reasons why he fought to get to Hulu. Um, also, he just didn't want to deal with running times. And like, he was just like, if we're going to make an app, if we're going to make a movie length episode fine we're just going to do it I, and then... I just i i feel like i under I, sarah i understand the objection like i'm uh, super annoyed by a lot of the humor like it's sexist in the way that like a little kid would be sexist you know like it's not Which, like as a woman i'm already exposed to on a daily oh, basis absolutely that, totally like it's <laughs> like why would you want to watch like that what's annoying for you is painful oh, yeah. I, I completely mean, deeply cringe I mean, it's also super racist in the same way <laughs> you know what i mean like i believe it it's, oh, it's yeah. just like you know and it, it's sort of like i i guess it's like one of those the good outweighs the bad kind of situations you know like i um i understand i completely understand why you especially on initial viewing would not care for it you know but if you ever did watch it i think you would like it I think. I'll probably end up watching it when we have another dry track season because it's inevitable. We had a dry track between Enterprise and the JJ movies where everybody was like, will Star Trek ever return right. in some form? You know, and, and it's going, it, it's only a matter of time. Right now it's an explosion of Star Trek, but I feel like it's only a matter of time. Some Somebody's going to fuck up at some point and <laughs> we're going to, you know, see it maybe regress into you know oh it's just for nerds whereas now it's 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 much more popular but uh at least it, it much more popular than it was when i was you know college age and, and high school age but hey, so anyway that's, that's I, how i ended you know, up that's how i ended when, up like when we go through another dry trek and i'm desperate then i will totally watch all of warville and let you know 
that's how I ended up watching Stargate Atlantis and actually liking it, <laughs> which is which is weird because I still I love Stargate Atlantis and I love Stargate Universe. Every time I've tried to watch SG One, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot watch it. I just <laughs> so bad. But for whatever reason, Atlantis and Universe worked for me, and I don't understand it. I, somebody explained it to me. Someone else explained it to me because I don't know why. But well, I do know that Stargate Universe is actually very good science fiction. They like actually had hired like John Scalzi and a couple other science fiction writers to consult them to be like, how can we be more science fiction? Yeah. And like, I, I, and it shows in the show. So that's something, but anyways, um, we can nerd out all day. Um, and we already have, um, and I appreciate anyone who listens. I can't help, but put a little plug in for the Orville just because I do believe it got better and great. And I like it a lot. Also, uh, since I, um, uh, had uh, Brandon Bragg on the show. His new show, uh, The End is Nigh, is super underrated. If you have Peacock, I love uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, doing uh, di um, disaster scenarios, and everyone should watch that too because that show deserves more love. And, Do you uh, think he would talk to me about Tuvix? Because I emailed the writer of Tuvix with a ton of questions, and I said, I have been wanting to write an essay about Tuvix and why all these people keep arguing about it like it has been banned in multiple star trek groups the topic because the admins just cannot keep up with the fighting that happens when and i so i the the guy agreed to answer my questions and then i sent him like 30 questions and i did say to him i said i sent you too many questions however feel free to only reply to the ones that you find interesting if you only want to reply to half that's fine i'm just interested in your perspective and he ghosted me after agreeing to do it so here's the thing. You would not know this because it's in an it, the episode is promoted as the Orville is is Brennan Braga talking about the Orville season three. <laughs> but at the end of the interview, you'll have to fast forward through the whole thing. I asked Brandon Braga about working on two Vicks. All right. And well, so send me a link to the episode and I will absolutely scrub past. Tell yeah. me what what number to start it at. I, I will do that for you because um, I asked him about specifically, are you aware that people still constantly argue about Tuvix? <laughs> and uh, he had a very funny reaction and he <laughs> talked about how that was one of the episodes he hated most. And <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so it's Amazing. funny to him because yeah. for that reason. So yes, we did talk about Tuvix. Oh, I've got you, Sarah. I, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm like you. I've thought of the same thing. Like, why do people still debate fucking Tuvix? Like, and I don't understand it because Janeway was clearly correct. You cannot, Janeway did nothing wrong. And I do not understand why people are so offended. Tuvix was a creature. Sexism. Any, any Starfleet captain would have done that, would have honored his existing crew beings. and the the bodily autonomy of his crew who had not given consent for their memories to be any starfleet captain would have done especially picard he we just picard would have would have had a lovely moral speech about it and then we wouldn't but because it was a woman it's it is the benghazi of star trek <laughs> that's so true it is so true because the thing is is that it's why would you let why would you kill two beings to become one being when the basic two star beings, trek 101 guys sense. come on yeah 
and that's one of the things i think we talked about is like it's so inexplicable that it's still debated but that, that there's people that are like you know janeway killed two vicks you know like fuck that noise it's bullshit no uh i'm i'm all you know so people are still debated he's just like whatever yeah no i i watched uh voyager very intermittently i did not see that episode i wouldn't have known about it if not for the memes uh that i've been subjected to over the past you know who knows how long um but yeah very entertaining <laughs> all right on that note we I gotta end on two vicks um uh uh people want to find sarah how can they find you um and facebook well, now because my future at, at at twitter is is shaky and i was always on twitter for like 15 minutes a day anyway but so full facebook girl yeah all right isa i don't know why anyone would want to find me but i'm also <laughs> on facebook so you're welcome to find me on facebook if you want to but you sang in one of the funniest hardcore bands in the history of, of the genre of hardcore. yeah i don't know how much longer i can post on that i don't know if people still remember that you know but uh but yeah sure come come find me on facebook bring Good it on clean fun yeah <laughs> all right uh uh folks and um yeah i don't know uh find us when prodigy comes out so uh thanks for listening and um live long and prosper all that stuff <laughs>